How are you guys doing? This one's a little bit different from the past like couple weeks. I guess we had we had a gentleman named Dakota on here about I say a month ago, and this is actually another guy that was with him. His name is Anton. Anton. He's actually a, well. I I legitimately just met this gentleman. 10, 15 minutes ago. I talked to him through text. I didn't even know what he looked like. Didn't know anything about him. I knew his name was Anton. And his call sign is Texas Oh, when he's in Ukraine. So he's an American. No, he's a, what are you? A Ukrainian-American. Is that the best way to put it, I guess? Ukrainian-American. Ukra- the best. Okay, he's a Ukrainian-American. I'm going to let him pretty much tell his entire story. How long were we over there for? Two months. Two months. So I'm going to do the same thing I've done with all the other guys. When, <laughs> What made you want to do it? Why did you want to do it? And like, what month did you decide to go over there? Because we all know this thing started, I think it was 20, 20 something of February. I think it's 27th mm-hmm. of February. I don't mm-hmm. remember. 26th of February? Yeah, 24th or something. 24th? Like that, yeah. I was going to say, tw- I thought that was Valentine's Day. 24th Valentine's Day? I probably should know that. <laughs> anyway, okay, here you go. I'm going to give it, I'm gonna, the floor is yours. All right. So, like I said, uh, Anton, uh, my call sign was Texas when I was there because I am from Texas. Um, uh, Ukrainian. Uh, made American, so you can say it that way. Uh, so basically what happened was uh, I do have um, a lot of family still in Ukraine. I've been living here for many years. And um, we knew the war was coming. Uh, it's not an invasion, you know, it's an expansion of the 2014 yeah. war. So I had a, we all saw on TV that troops were compiling, you know, at the border and all that stuff. So we knew things were going to happen, right? And I remember this, this may surprise you, a lot of you, but I remember this. I was talking to my wife at that time, and and she's like, you know, you know, things are gonna happen. And I was like, yeah, and you know, I don't care. If Ukraine wants to have its independence, it needs to fight for it. I think everybody, I think everybody in America believes that we've literally given Ukraine sixteen billion dollars worth of stuff. So I'm pretty sure the entire world is behind that same same mindset. Were you ever in the military prior? No. Nope. So you had no military experience. No affiliation with military or any intelligence uh, whatsoever. So none. So you, so we're talking about February time frame. And so you made your way. So what? <laughs> that's the crazy thing. So you had no military experience, and you somehow found your way into Ukraine. Clearly, mm-hmm. you speak Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Ukrainian and Russian. So you speak fluent. both. Mm-hmm. So you're fluent in both. Mm-hmm. Now uh, I got to ask you, how how different are they? Uh, I like to give an example. It's like Spanish and Portuguese. Well, that's actually fairly different. They're similar, that's, but yeah. they're different. It's like. That's actually, f- that's quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a, <laughs> that's good to know. I'm terrible with, with, with naming the cities, by the way. I, I've been. Yeah. That's all right. I'll, I'll help you out. <laughs> I'm so absolutely terrible at it. I try to pronounce it, but it's just, and I know that doesn't really, like, why do you guys put two eyes in certain areas? And there's, I guess it doesn't really, yep. some of the stuff doesn't make any sense. Yep. Okay. So we got end of February. How did you make your way over? I would assume you went to Poland like everybody yep. else. Okay. So my motivation was when, as soon as it, it started, you know, I was just like, you know what? Ukraine got this. I got. I had some some problems in my own life. I needed to fix. You know, I wasn't focused on thinking about the war or anything. So it's February twenty fourth. We started, I believe, and I remember February twenty seventh. I just had this overwhelming feeling that as I as I watched, um, I watched the invasion and I saw my hometown was under attack, and uh, I saw they bombed the street that I grew up on. Can you can you actually say which one it was or no? Uh, it's uh, well, it was north of north of Kiev. Put it that way. Okay. So the street I grew up on was bombed. I watched videos of, of civilians laying dead in the rubble in the places where I used to walk. Stores that I used to shop uh, were burning. And uh, I remember I called my brother and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? I said, I, need, I feel like I need to go out there and get you out. 
And he said, well, as of this morning, I walked into a recruitment's office and I signed a contract to join the Army. They should be a weapon, and I'm uh, on my way to the front line. And I said, oh, brother, I'm going to come, and I'm going to get you. And he said, if I were to leave, they'll make me a deserter, and I'm no deserter. And then at that time, I said, I said, fuck it. Then I'm going to come, and I'm going to fight alongside of you. <laughs> that was it. That uh, was it. So that how, was February 23rd, March 1st, I was on the plane. Jesus. So how old are you? I'm 35. How old's your brother? He's five years older. He's 40. So he's so as a, so as a 40 year old man inside of Ukraine at the time, you would have been considered a deserter, or he would have been considered a deserter. Right. Yeah, that's crazy because he already joined the army at that point. So yeah, he signed the contract. He joined. Yeah, he, he could not. My my thing was, uh, and I told this to to my wife. I said, you know, I want to go there. I want to look him in the eye, and I want him to tell me in person that he's staying. Because was he still there? Was he alive? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. So, <laughs> okay. so we'll get to that. So that's what happened. And, you know, I had three days. I told my boss, hey, I'm leaving. Whether you keep my job or not, I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go. And, uh, and I tell you, I couldn't shake off this feeling. Uh, like I said, I didn't have prior military experience. But what I did know, I just in my heart, I knew that what the Russians were doing wasn't right. And I wasn't going to sit by and just watch it happen. So even though three days ago, I thought exactly that, that I was just going to watch it happen. So I was on the plane three days later, from 27th to the 1st. Um, I was on the plane. And it took me three days to get there because tickets were sold out everywhere, and I was in the airports for like 16-hour layovers and everything. So about three days later and four hours of sleep, I got across the border, and I remember I stepping across it, and a guy at the border, this lady at the border, she was like, um, she looked at my passport, U.S. passport, says born in Ukraine because it does say that. Where are you born? Yeah. And she looks at this. She's like, well, that makes you Ukrainian as well. And I was like, well, no, because, you know, you have to give up that citizenship to become an American. Yeah. She goes, well, in our books, you are Ukrainian. So if you cross this border right now, you will not be able to come back. Who is it? Wait, wait, in the, from Poland to Ukraine? Yeah. Really? Because Ukraine has a law. No military-age male can leave. Oh, shit. And I, look, right. and I look at that line. I can't believe that. because you. So they're saying since you were born in Ukraine and you crossed over. Mm-hmm. That that's I not crazy. Be able to come back. And I look at that line and I make a step forward, <laughs> and I go into the country. So, across the border uh, with this lady, actually, um, there's this. It, it's an interesting story. What happened? I I was in Poland as I was trying to get. I didn't know where I was going. I don't know where the border crossings are. I was just leap of faith. You know, I'm gonna fly in. I'm gonna get to Poland. I'm gonna find my way. So in Polish airport, I see this lady buying something, and she pulls out passport out of her purse that she's looking for something else and it says ukraine on it so start talking to her we get a conversation going turns out crazy story um they go on vacation her and her husband they're fairly well-off people but they go on vacation to mexico and is there a way the war breaks out expands and their son is in kiev while kiev is being bombed and his son their son is eight years old so he's with grandma in Kiev, under attack, this whole thing, right? So then they scramble, try to get back. So they come back. He can't cross the border again because they're going to hold him there. So she gets to cross the border by herself, make her way to Kiev to get her son. So, and as we meet there in the airport, I was like, well, I'm going the same way. So let's just travel together. So we ended up traveling across the border together, crossing it, got a taxi, got to this place, ended up finding a location where some volunteers were uh, giving shelter 
to her and her son. We show up there, and there's like 16 people living in this four-bedroom apartment. They're all just just people moving in and out, you know, from from villages that are attacked or cities. And then I have a photo there um, how she um, – I remember sitting behind her as the door opens and she walks in. He's like, she's like, where's my son? Where's my son? And he runs out. They hug for like a long time. And so that was my first kind of refugee experience to watching that happen, you know, in, in person, the family's being torn apart, separated. And so that was, that was pretty unique uh, to me. You know, you, you take for granted what peace looks like in America. You know, you go to the store, you, get to buy what you want, you come back alive, one piece, and we take that for granted. And I saw what, what the opposite side of it looks like. I saw what that fear looks like, what, uh, uh, what terror of war is. And that was kind of my first very, very small introduction into the war, right? Like the first day crossing the border. Um, I saw tens of thousands of people Already, it's the sec- first week of war. Uh, tens of thousands of people were there at the train stations or trying to cross the border. Uh, I believe the line, the taxi driver said the longest line he's ever seen was 26 kilometers of cars going to Poland. And, in fact, you could see they were, as we were driving, on both sides of the road, their abandoned vehicles. And you're talking like BMWs, Mercedes, um, Volvos, uh, abandoned and we're looking at it's like what is, what is that he's like people were in line for so long they dropped their vehicles and they walked across just to get out so it was it was like that the first week so across the border um then she got into they had a vehicle there she picked up her son um she got in the vehicle and headed back to the border the same day right so when i was left in that in that city by myself no contacts, no nothing, just trying to figure out what to do. And that was that was in the Lviv. And so we ended up, those volunteers transported her son and grandma from uh, Kiev to Lviv, and we met up there, picked them up and everything. So um, first thing I noticed, there, there were military personnel everywhere, patrolling body armor, AKs, like helmets, everywhere, all over the city. Now, even though the front, that's not where the war was, but they were everywhere. Um, they stopped me multiple times checking passports and things like that. So um, I didn't know where to go, except I knew one place you can go for refuge always is the church. So I'm a member of a church, and uh, I found a branch there, and I went. I'm not going to tell you necessarily which one now because I don't want cruise missile to fly in up for space. And so there's only um, one of them there, and I, and I walked in that church, and I remember... I mean, I didn't know it was open or closed or what's going on. I walked in, I remember seeing the guy, and I was like, okay, great. And so the first couple of days I spent there just trying to figure out how to get to my hometown in the north because it was past, it was north of Kiev. That's where all the attacks were going on, and I was watching the map, and there was, there was territory keep going back and forth between the Russians and Ukrainians. I stayed in comms with my brother, and he said it's, it's, a, it's a death sentence to try to get in because you don't know who owns the road that day. So, and I thought, okay, well, then I got to wait for something to clear so I can get in. So about a couple of days into this, just sleeping on the floor of the church. Um, it was Sunday. So uh, Sunday service comes, sitting there at church, you know, up on the f- 
front row, you know, listening to, to um, you know, people speak. And, um, and then the guy walks in behind me and starts speaking English. And I turn around, and he's as American as it gets. Man, he's like blonde, like really? blue-eyed <laughs> like you, you know, kind of a bigger guy. You can tell he's military. You know, he walks in. He's also a member of my church. He walks in. He just they bore his testimony, and then, and, you know, it was good. And then at the end, I come over. I talked to him. I was like, like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? Like, I know what I'm doing here. Like, what are you doing here? He goes, man, me and this group of Americans, uh, we're, here, um, we're here to help. And um, some of us are also here to fight. You want to join us? I was like, I want to join you. And so, so I get in the car with these strangers, right? Kids don't do that. <laughs> the only reason uh, why he did it is because they spoke English, right? Well, yeah. and, and they were Americans. That's the only reason why he did it. Yeah. Okay. That makes, <laughs> makes a, their story kind of added up just a little bit at that point. So they're yeah. not really, actually, I guess they are strangers. You literally just met these guys and mm-hmm. just hopped. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I like it. I'd let you in my house. And I don't even know who you were, so I think kind of works. Same, yep. same kind of principle. I got the face, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we just hop in the car with them, and then we drive up to this base outside of Lviv. That was um, that was the place. It wasn't, it wasn't a base two weeks ago. Put it that way. Was it the one where all the foreign fighters came? Well, it, no, that's not that one. Not that it's one? a different one. Okay. Yeah, it's a different base, a different legion. Um, okay. And uh, we just showed up to the base. A guy walked out there. Um, British guy, he just talked to the Ukrainian guards. They just opened the gates. They just let us in. And I thought, man, we could have had a, I don't know, a car bomb or something. Like, this security sucked. Like, they didn't search anything. It's just the guy waved us through. We just drove in. So I'm like, okay, well, whatever. That sounds pretty good. And then we get there. Anyway, it gets situated. Basically, a lot of, um, there's a Ukrainian unit there. Then there's a Georgian legion. And then there's our kind of a section of it is the international International Legion is part of the Georgian Legion, which is part of this Ukrainian battalion. So it's, it's all like multiple levels of tiers of, of this leadership. So you get there with them. Uh, spent about a week training, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, some of the guys decided to ship out with the Georgians. Then they went to the front line somewhere by Kiev. Um, another one switched to doing training. You know, you kind of get the reality check, you know, for a lot of guys that come, what they want to do, uh, what they really came there to do. Uh, some came thinking that they were ready to fight, and then they realized we don't have, you know, B-52 bombers. We don't have Apaches to cover you. We don't have, you know, cruise missiles or nothing like that. You literally right? don't have much. At, yeah, at the you, beginning, you literally had nothing. Yeah, you get an AK, you get some grenades, an RPG, and nobody armor, right? And that was that's what it was. And they looked at that, some of them, uh, the Westerners, from different countries. I met, I believe, 11 different countries there. Uh, some post-communist, um, like Soviet bloc countries, and really? also yeah. like Canadians, Estonia, Americans, okay. British, Australian, Algerian, Latvian, you know, just people from all over. And that's just a very small portion that I met. It's not including the ones that are already there. You know, prior to that, it's been about a week and a half or so from the start of the war. So, And Georgians were there by the hundreds, by the hundreds. They're coming by the truck bus loads, and they're leaving to the front line by the bus loads. They were just mad. They were, yeah. <laughs> they were mad for what happened. I don't remember. 2008. Yeah, two, it was 2008. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I thought it was 2010. It was 8, wasn't it? Because then they went and did Chechnya after that. Yeah, che- possibly. So it don't really matter, but everybody's pretty much mad at the Russians in that area. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's pretty were, much just and, mad at the Russians. And there were a ton of them, and they were motivated. I mean, really? those guys were motivated. I mean, Is there they, still a ton over there? Uh, I can't speak for currently. 
because that was in the beginning, but I'm telling you, hundreds and hundreds of them. So they were, cool. I remember they were leaving. We were getting reports. Just They're shipping out. It was like, yeah, 156 of them are leaving today. Just in like one day. Wow. And so, and it was, I mean, they came to fight. So, and uh, I met their leader, um, had some conversations with him. You know, I don't know much about him, but they seemed like, you know, he was serious about what they're doing. What language do those guys speak anyway? They do speak Georgians, but a lot, a lot of them speak uh, Russian it as is? well. Okay. So, and very few speak English. So we had a little bit of miscommunications here and there. I don't doubt that. I couldn't imagine. That's like a big cluster of languages. Yes, indeed. I could not imagine how to. Like, I know what it's like to, to to fight with men that are all speaking English. I could not imagine smashing mm-hmm. languages and then trying to figure out where this group is or where that group is so you don't have friendly fire in a, in a sense. Yeah. I couldn't. That would, that right there, I, I don't know. Like I, I've heard some stories about y'all's radio com issues and then you mix radio com what issues radio? in with. What with, radio? With, what's that? Oh, what well, radio? Yeah, radio. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. Like, like no one really knows exactly what's going on in certain this, situations. This is my radio. <laughs> Which... Uh, anyway, keep going. I just it's I like hearing your story. You're doing you're doing like this. I've been enjoying this. Yeah, it's um you're you're explaining the picture to me, painting the picture very well. Like you're doing a really good job. I, I'm excited. Keep going. I want to hear more. All right. So we're at this base and uh, we're in this building, multi-story building, right, packed with troops, and we're all looking at this and just waiting for that cruise missile to hit us anytime. Right. Because they did target one of the other ones. They have. Yeah, they have, which yeah. I later found out very shortly after. I oh, found you didn't out know that. that? So when you were there, oh, because it did happen before you got there. Yeah, it happened right as. Yeah, anyway, they yeah they bombed <laughs> a lot of stuff. Okay? Yeah. They bombed a lot of stuff, and then later on, I'll tell you a story of Mikolaev and and how many people they killed with the cruise missile there. So we're sitting there just waiting for this thing to hit, and then we're like, no, let's go to this other other building next to us that's like half abandoned. It hasn't been used in many years. So we just swept the floor, sleeping on the floors because we called the castle because uh, it was kind of older architecture, thick walls. So you're talking like two and a half, three feet foot thick that's, brick walls. That's yeah. So we went to the castle, and all the rest of them lived in this like a Soviet com block type type multi story apartment that folded like a dominoes. So we're like, screw that, we're just gonna live in a castle. Better better be cold and hungry than than be in that building. So anyway, so. After this, uh, some rockets fall in here and there, um, but not at the base. Uh, some people decided Westerners turn around and leave back to the border after the first week. They're just like, this is not for me. It's not what I signed up for. No air support, none of this stuff. So it's like, okay, good. So about a third of them left. A third of them stayed and became instructors for different units. They traveled across the country and, and just trained the troops because there's a lot of mobilized guys, just people that held a weapon as, um, you know, um, they served maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you qualified with the rifle one time and the rest of it, you just used the shovel, right, in the Army. So Army didn't really take combat in Ukraine very seriously for many years until, you know, 2014. So those guys need to be trained um, that used to be conscripts, you know, a while yeah. ago. And then another third, they said, well, we're here to, for combat. That's what we want to do. And uh, if Georgians provided that opportunity, they went with them. And if they didn't, uh, Westerners were very impatient. We we're like, we're in a time clock. We're here. We're here to fight the Russians now. So they'll hop on the bus or train and just go somewhere to some city where there's a fighting going on. Show up at the checkpoint and be like, all right, where's the fight? Who can I talk to? 
you know, let's do this. So, and um, honestly, I was one of those guys. That sounds like Americans. Yeah. That sounds like Americans. I was one of those guys. Yeah. Like, the Georgians were, um, some of the things they're explaining to us, it just didn't make sense to me, like what their structure was and everything. So we just found our own avenue. Um, we uh, found some contacts in Kiev that we could go. So we just had a conversation. All right. And uh, we left. So I got to back up a little bit how we left is, is after um, after I decided to leave the Georgian base and to kind of pursue my own route. So I went back to that church, slept on the floor for one more day, went to church again. And this is when another guy shows up. Uh, shows up with a Polish ambulance, a painted ambulance. Uh, shows up in the parking lot, American as it gets, um, older. Uh, he's all over the news as well, so he's using his full name. So I don't think that would be a problem if I call his name. His name is Mark. And a former SF guy mm-hmm. back in the day. So, um, yeah. So he shows up and he's like, you know, I've been living in Alaska, enjoying my life. And then I'm watching this thing happen. And I thought, you know what? I can come out and help. So he came all the way from Alaska on his own dime, bought his own vehicle in Poland, brought it over across the border. He came to church because he's a member of the church. You got to keep Sabbath, you know. He comes to church. We meet up. And he goes, well, I realized how to win this war is imagine you have all these thousands and tens of thousands of troops, Russian troops, with no tanks and no artillery. What are they going to do? Nothing. So he said, I'm here to take away their ability to shoot at us with artillery. He's like, and that's my focus. And even though he was he had a medic experience before and people were like, oh, you know, provide medical classes. He's like, no, here's a combatant. This is what I want to do. And uh, his focus was zeroed in. He's like, I'm here to hurt artillery at all costs. That's what I want to do. So, and he went to the store, bought a bunch of tools, thousands of dollars of stuff, stocking up his ambulance in the in the parking lot. And I'm like, hey, like, uh, if you're going, you know, can I go with you? And he goes, well, if you want to go, I need to know, like, now. Like, now, right now. So I was like, dang it. Like, I need to think about this thing, you know, analyze it, maybe, like, do I know this guy? Do you want to do this type of fighting he's doing? So I thought about it for about 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, let's do this. So we packed up this uh, modified ambulance, and we just hit the road next morning. So you've helped him with multiple different Americans that you have no idea who they were at this yeah, point? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, the Westerners that I met, they're all, especially, I want to say, especially British. There's a lot of British guys there. Uh, especially British. I remember sitting across the room from many of them. There was 34 of us at that at that base um, at any given time. There's people kind of come and go, so the number always changes. But I remember 34 as, as we were moving uh, from, you know, building to building. And uh, I've asked him, I've asked this British guys, Irish guys, and I was like, what are you doing here? And he goes, and every one of them had the same answer at the different times that I've talked to him. And every one of them said, I want to fight in this land so that I have to I don't have to fight in my own land. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good point. It really is a good in point. And they felt strongly yeah. enough about this, that this war yeah. can expand and grow and reach their shores, going past all the Baltic states, yeah. past Poland, past Germany, half of France, and get to Britain. You know, they really felt strongly that this was going to happen if we wouldn't stop the Russians where they are. And part of the reason why I was there as well. So... As I was talking to Mark, we loaded up this ambulance um, because we had space. Somebody in the unit, uh, I think among the Georgians, is like, well, maybe you can bring some cargo with you to Kiev. 
since you're going empty anyway. Just two of us. I'm like, sure. So I stopped by this base. It was a territorial defense, uh, the Lviv territorial defense. Stopped by this base. They load us up, like, full, like, body armor and, like, all kinds of stuff, right? And um, food, supplies, night vision, just all kinds of things that they bought for their units. We just have to deliver to this specific area. And I remember this. Um, as we were talking, and I'm trying to translate, Mark is the driver, and I'm trying to translate for them and things like that. And, and, I, said, and I was asking, it's like, what's the need? What do you guys need up there? Are there any gap that we can fill? Because I'm like, this guy's special forces, you know, special operations, whichever. I can't remember which, which one. I know there's a difference, but. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, you know, we got these new uh, British anti-tank rockets in laws, and nobody knows how to use them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this guy knows how to use them. He's like, we can teach you. He goes, oh, yeah? He's like, all right. So he gives a phone number, the battalion commander in Kiev, that we can go teach this uh, system. So I get this contact. Mark rolls up the window. We start driving. Mark is like, oh, so what are you guys talking about? Oh, I told him uh, that he, you'll teach their battalion to how to shoot in-law. And he goes, in what? <laughs> yeah, he has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was yeah, like, he had no idea. And I was like, well, you know, it's anti-tank stuff. He goes, I haven't been fighting for like 20 years. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> I sold him <laughs> on this idea that we're going to have this, this U.S. Special Forces guy. I'm going to teach him how to use a rocket. We don't know how to use. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, cool. Oh, so, my God. So <laughs> you, didn't think, you didn't even think, hey, hey, buddy, do you know how to use an in-law? You didn't so, well, I thought, I thought there were special forces were ninjas, you know? Oh, You're yeah. supposed to know how to use, like, everything. That was that was my mind, you know? Yeah. Watching too many movies, I guess. <laughs> That's hilarious. So we have eight-hour, nine-hour drive or so with checkpoints. It's more like 14 hours. But GPS said it was, like, eight. So we're like, okay. Tell me YouTube how to use it. Oh, GPS? No, you, you were YouTube and how to use an in-law the entire way over there. It's worse than that. <laughs> it's even worse than that because that was still early in the war. I don't believe there were in-law videos at that time because it was so like a week and a half, oh you know, barely two weeks into it. So I turned to Mark. He's like, we got eight hours to figure this out because they're expecting us to teach their, their battalion. He goes, well, and um, anyway. We tried not to swear, but <laughs> I was I was doing real well until it went to war, and then things kind of went sideways. So we were at this. Um, so we got eight hours right to get there, and uh, he goes, "Okay, well, it, we got to figure this out somehow." And he's he's like, "How do you even spell this?" So I text this guy, right? You could that I just met. It's like, "How do you? What's this thing again?" So he sends me like a name of it in the picture. I was like, "Okay." It's like, yeah, yeah, we got this. <laughs> you know, we got it. good. It's all good. So <laughs> he gets on the phone. Mark is driving. He's driving oh with God. his knee, gets on the phone. An hour later, we have an instructional manual from uh, yeah, training poor, manual. poorly yeah. translated into Ukrainian with pictures. And I'm talking, it's like eight pictures. And it's just like very, very basic. Because an actual instruction manual is 196 pages. Wow. And there's six pictures with with horrible grammar, Ukrainian translation. Somebody in America just translated it, like, I don't know, yesterday probably, uh, the day before that. And I look at this, and based on the six pictures, just, just going through them, because he's driving. So I read him the operation on how to use it, and just because we're both mechanically inclined, we could figure out how to operate this thing in about, like, 10 minutes. So we looked at this as like, okay. Well, we rehearsed it, like, six, seven, eight more times along the path, along the way. So as we get there, this is this is a good one. Okay, <laughs> so 
this is how our career as the as the Antetian constructors has started. So we show up to this base, we deliver all these goodies, right? All these packages to them. They're super stoked about it. Um, different units. We're kind of, I think there's three different ones. We just delivered all the packages. We stop at the last one where we're supposed to train them. So I came, we think maybe it's like four or five guys, but we got like 20 guys in that room. They're bringing in out of this warehouse, this brand new in a package with Law, like in a tube and everything. And I remember this, and I took a hold of it because I'm trying to look like I know what I'm doing. You know, I took a hold of this rocket and I like spin this cap off, you know, take this off and take this tube out kind of violently, you know, like unclip everything, you know, look like I, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, act like you've done this before. You know, this is important. There's all these dudes are sitting there. There's officers in the room. There's a major. I think highest rank was a major. And uh, open up this rocket. And then I'll let, um, I'm interpreting for Mark. So he starts talking a little bit about application of it. Because, I mean, he doesn't know a thing or two about shooting tanks. And uh, and then after that, he just looks at me. He's like, okay, go. <laughs> and I was like. All right. This is your first time ever touching one of these? Yeah. Looking at one. Yeah. First time the audience. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. Oh, I love um, it. You know, I always <laughs> knew I'd do well under stress. So I was like, all right. So I got this rocket and I started explaining to him. I have a picture. I want to see. I, everybody wants to see this one. This is fucking great. This is great. Like what I, what I hear like people doing dumb shit overseas. This has got to be the most janky shit ever but it's awesome <laughs> like this is this is you are literally teaching the ukrainian military you have no military background you are teaching the f-ing ukrainian military how to use an in-law correct and you learned about it eight hours before and you didn't know how to spell this yeah exactly i, <laughs> I love it that's exactly right and you know and majority of it was was confidence <laughs> confidence is king i love if, it it is if you you can fake the funk to do yeah, anything you can this is the picture from that very first training. My God. This, you, you, can, I, can I show some of these online? Absolutely. No? Okay. You might have to blur out some of the, some of the Yo, faces. I'll blur, I'll blur out all the faces. Everybody's faces over yours. That is absolutely hilarious. This is, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is so funny. Yep. Oh, this is great. This is, <laughs> that's hilarious, dude. Oh, so, God. I, <laughs> that story behind that one photo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, have you told a lot of people that story? I told quite a few people. That's the, the reaction the same as mine. Like, what the <laughs> <fuck? Like, laughs> Something similar. So, oh my God. So, the funniest part about this that is we're showing this to everybody. And, uh, yeah, this, this, is, this, is, this is good. So, showing this to everybody. I knew, like, the operation, the battery, and, like, we disconnected the battery, obviously, so we're not going to kill each other, you know, with this rocket and everything. So, we were safe. You know, the weapon has been rendered safe, all that all that good stuff, you know, pointing in a safe direction, all these different things. Because uh, I've been a competitive shooter for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So, this is not, this, the handling weapon is not something new. And then, um, as we're doing this, um, one of the Ukrainian soldiers, he's, like, looking at this rocket. He's like, oh, can I, can I practice pulling the... The trigger, right? There's a button. You have to hold the lever and push the button mm-hmm. for activation. It's probably the same thing as, as like a javelin, right? Yeah. So I was like, sure. Right? Like, sure, you can do that. So he pushes the button, and it's a one-time use button. So it goes, depresses, and it stays depressed. So, and that's how we broke our first in-law. Just like that. We dry-fired it, 
it locked up. You couldn't use it anymore. The lever wouldn't work. The button wouldn't work. So, so how'd you get broke, around that we one? We broke the whole thing. How'd you, so, what, and how'd this guy's like, are you crazy? It's like, oh, no, it broke. So they'll panic. We're calling the, the sergeant. His, uh, I think he's some kind of staff sergeant. I don't know the ranks or anything, but I don't understand Ukrainian ranks or anything. It's weird. Yeah. It is very weird. Yeah, and like, who does what? You know, one thing I learned there, too, is ranks uh, meant very little. It all goes off age, right? Yeah. Experience. Experience. Experience at age. I've seen sergeant boss officers around. Really? Because he was at war for eight years, and they were civilians with uh, bachelor's degrees that got drafted in and became officers overnight. So it's weird stuff, right? So this guy comes in. We broke the rocket, right? So I tell him the major that brought us in, the battalion commander, is like, hey, this happened. We did break it. It's battery's not attached, but if you attach it, it may go off. So I don't recommend you attaching it, you know, unless you're in the firing range and everything. But you take this box apart, you can probably fix it. It's like, I don't know. I don't know, but it's broken, and we broke it. So, and he goes, that's fine. We've got a storage full of them. <laughs> okay? So he goes, thank you for teaching the guys. He was very appreciative, very everything. Um, so he didn't have any problems. But this, this guy comes from the, the weapons uh, cache warehouse, whatever. They're, they're, um, I don't know what their position would be. The guy in charge of all the, the weapons. Supplies. Supplies, yeah. yeah. He shows up, he looks at us, and he just goes, Bat! That's all he <laughs> says. Like, it. It's like the most, <laughs> the most accurate use of that profanity I've that's ever seen. It, just that's all he says? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> So... Then he grabs it, we packs it in the box, and, and these other guys, like, scared half to death. He's, like, white, pale, because we just broke, like, $60,000 piece of uh, foreign tech, you know, that yeah. we just got here. <laughs> so he's pale as, as, as wall, and then the sergeant looks at him, and he goes, what do you want to do? And he goes, let's put it in the back of the warehouse, like the back, the, the back of the back. So they just pack it up, took it away. We never saw that rocket again. So we don't know what happened to it. But we do know that at least 20 guys that day learned how to use it. I, I, they should have sent you guys some training aids. That Did was, you end up finding some training aids? That was something that Mark, after the war, has worked on very, getting training aids. very tirelessly. Yeah. Yep. Get, <laughs> get the trainers, get the actual instructions. So we ended up, yeah, this is a very, very beginning of our journey being, being instructors. 